0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, March fifteenth, the Ides of March, twenty eighteen. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up that Bible of yours, or turn it on, or pull up your web browser and surf over to BibleGateway.com and compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex, as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching this being put forward, it's like far, 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 really far, <laughs> like really ginormously far, you know, like light years away from what God's word even says anymore, and nobody blinks at it. <laughs> Nobody cares. And then when you point it out, they say, judge not lest you be judged, you Pharisee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird how that works. Oh, so um <clears throat> all right. So today I hope you're sitting down. I I really do hope you're sitting down. This is gonna take some time. <laughs> There's no way around it. This is going to be a longer episode of Fighting for the Faith. There's something I'm grinding on, and I made an intentional decision, you know, earlier in the week that we weren't really going to grind on the uh, NAR and the, and those people. Today we are. <laughs> so that's just the best way I could put it. It This is going to be an aggravating, frustrating um <clears throat> Episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to start with um, a a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're going to go back in time and we're going to uh, allow the late Bob Jones, who was kind of a prophetic kind of guy. He was one of the Kansas City prophets, uh, and uh, he's going to regale the IHOP audience with stories of the supernatural and the claims of direct revelation and angelic visitation and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to note that what's not happening at IHOP uh, on that particular day, and we have more of these, by the way, um, is that they didn't actually have God's word preached to them like at all, and that is an important, vital piece of uh, of our components today, because where we're going to go in our number two is we are going to review a sermon of Michael Brown's from way back, way back in the early 2000s. So the sermon we'll be listening to is anywhere from 12 to 15 years old. And, uh, wowser, 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 is this a bad sermon? Um, and and so I've got to lay track to kind of get to the Michael Brown bit, but in the Michael Brown sermon, no joke, very early on, you're going to hear Michael Brown talk about how he regularly met with Shayon and his apostolic network, um, because um, he, FIRE was part of that group, the FIRE ministry. That um, So, you know, it's just kind of weird because over and again, Michael Brown talks about, you know, the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. So-called, and yet Shayon is notably one of the most well-known apostles with the, one of the largest apostolic networks globally, uh, you know, and uh, and he, Shayon um, and C. Peter Wagner, they were like tight man, and it's it's like Shayon has picked up the C. Peter Wagner mantle thingy. So, uh, but t- again, everything in the first hour relates back in one way or another to the second hour. So you kind of have to. Th- there's certain things I'm going to be trying to point out in the first hour that will have, well, significance in, in the second. So uh, from there, we will do an NAR update. We're going to listen to Norwegian Apostle John aj Torp. I can't even. John aj Torp. Yeah, I, I, there you go. My best crack at that. I do not do the Norwegian thing. And uh, he's uh, preaching at a church in Rwanda And the name of the message is God Anoints Apostles Today. We will be listening to a portion of that sermon and only a portion of it due to the fact that um, it's a little tough to listen to because sharing the stage with him is a female interpreter. And uh, and so, uh, you know, just to say because he speaks and then somebody interprets and he's speaking English, not Norwegian. Uh, and somebody interprets, and she kind of interprets really kind of screechily, really loudly. Uh, we can only handle so much of that. Um, then in uh, the second half of the first hour, we're going to listen to Steve C. Steve C. Ocolanti. Chick Ocolanti. Uh, yeah, Steve C. C. As, um, he, uh, we're going to listen to a part of his message, Beyond Billy Graham, The Last Move of God. And we're going to note that um, that within particular portions of the charismatic and charismatic churches, yeah, there's a difference between the charismatic and the charismatic, that there is this expectation that there's some big last move of God. We did a program on this a few weeks back. The, the one new man heresy, the one new man doctrine, the Joel's army, the Joshua generation, and that uh, the, the death of important people like you know Billy Graham somehow is significant along the lines of that. We'll take you back in time then a little bit uh, as we listen to Lou Engel the last half of the of the last portion of the first hour as Lou Engel talks about Billy Graham's mantle. Uh huh. This is from a f- just a few years back, Signs, Wonders, and Billy Graham. And then in hour two, like I've said, we're going to be reviewing a sermon of Michael Brown's called The Next Wave. And in this sermon, not only does he talk about his working with Cheyenne, mm-hmm, <laughs> which is... Whoa, a well-known apostolic network. Just weird that he would say that. You know, the so-called NER. But and but that's like the least of the issues. Is that um, in this sermon, Michael Brown is going to do things that is very similar to, or that are very similar to uh, what we're gonna what we're gonna hear Bob Jones do. Uh huh. It's really weird and he is going to be all about kind of reading omens regarding the death of important people back in the early 2000s and its significance regarding the shifting transition next wave thingy that god's going to do so yeah this is uh this is what we will uh, consider to be uh, an educational uh, episode of fighting for the faith kind of everything building on itself and the, the pieces from the first hour are designed on purpose, you know, because I try to theme everything to work very tightly with what we're going to hear in the second. So let's get to it. Uh, we got a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update. Let's do this.
1: So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we well we didn't have we shaba mm, shaba
0: Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Heidi Baker and uh, our update music, Shabbat. Sure, it'll climb the charts somewhere around the world. All right, so we're heading over to IHOP. IHOP, we're going to be listening to Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle introducing and discussing and talking to and interviewing the late Bob Jones. And the one thing that ain't going to happen in this uh, message is um, God's word being exegeted and people being confronted with their sins and having Christ and him crucified for their sins, for their forgiveness, reconciliation with God and salvation being placarded, them being called to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. It just does not happen. That's all I can say. Here's uh, Mike Bickle and Bob Jones. Here we go.
2: I'd like Bob to share a little bit about some of his background and the things that I'd like him to talk about is the, the two visitations that you had once, one when you were nine and one when you were 13, and then what that did to you, and then go on and just talk a minute about the Army and some of your uh, bad stuff.
3: When I was about nine years old, uh, I was walking down a dusty road in the middle of summer, in arkansas and uh, i saw uh, an angel come on a white horse and when the angel came he he came to rest in the middle of a road that dirt road
0: this sounds like joseph smith and his testimony regarding his encounter with
3: the angel moroni uh huh and he had a great trumpet, and I'd never seen a silver trumpet before, but when he came close, I knew who he was, and I even knew that that was a silver trumpet, and knew things I couldn't know, and uh, I'd heard him talk about that when Gabriel come, he would blow the horn, and time would be no more, and everybody's going to get burned up, and so he put that trumpet to his lips and blew it, and I got paralyzed. I was terrorized. And he just looked at me, then he was gone. And uh, I stood there for quite a while, uh, too frightened to even move. And I didn't understand it in the least. And I won't even got courage up in the last ten years to even tell it. Uh, My life went on normal. Until I was thirteen, normal. You don't hear what normal was, but go ahead. <laughs> and when I was thirteen years old, I was in Carton Bottoms, Arkansas, in the cotton fields, and we were picking cotton. And it was an evening, and I was walking along a dirt road, and I heard my name call from the cane field. This is age thirteen. Now it's four years later, and. It terrorized me because I knew it was the Lord I didn't know how I knew it but I knew the Lord had called my name and again I related it to death well I'm sure that he was calling me to death but I didn't understand the death to the old man I uh, I didn't get so paralyzed that time as I did I run I ran with everything I had home. where'd you run to? I ran home and I went to bed and I covered my head up. Like any good coward. When I was 15, I was taken out of the body. I was taken before the throne. I saw the things there that so terrorized me and frightened me. It took about three nerve, about three months for my nervous system to settle down.
0: All right, now we are three minutes into listening to the late Bob Jones regale us with these st- stories of angelic visitations, of trumpets, and being paralyzed, and uh, being taken up into heaven, and seeing things that terrorized him and stuff. And if you're thinking to yourself, "Man, I," How come God chose him to have these revelations and stuff? You know, I've never been to heaven, and I've never seen an angel, and I've never seen a a silver trumpet and stuff like that. You see, that's kind of the the thing, is, is that these stories, these types of stories, as outlandish as they are, They serve a function within the charismatic and the charismatic churches, and that is they serve the function of creating the impression that the person who is speaking these stories has an inside track with God, that they are special, that they have been, uh, if you would, separated from the rest of the church and given special privileges that really— uh, historically the only other people who've received these types of experiences were either apostles of Jesus Christ and even then not all of them had experiences like this or the prophets of the old testament by claiming to have had these encounters they are tacitly not overtly but you know kind of subtly saying Uh, What I say is on par with the prophets and the apostles because I've had the same kind of experiences that they have. I have heard the voice of God in the same way they have. I have seen angels like they have. I've been to heaven like they have. That's the point. It's all about, you know, the people who are in the church sitting there going, this guy And God are really tight. I'm not as tight with God as that guy is. I could only hope to be someday. Maybe if I try really hard, I could be, but that guy is. So I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to trust him. And I mean, after all, since Mike Bickle is the one conducting the interview, I mean, Mike Bickle is a megastar in the charismatic and charismatic churches. So if he's endorsing and listening to this guy and wanting to have his stories told and not challenging him and saying no that's not true, then it's doubly got to be true. It's got to be true. This guy is really tight with God. That's the point of these stories.
3: And I started seeking anything that would make me forget them things. Like what what were some of the things that you saw that caused that reaction? I saw The fear of the Lord. People that have never seen him don't know the fear of that, the awesomeness of it. It is so awesome and so terrorizing that everything within you shakes and quakes and burns. And I saw his glory and I saw his power. And it so terrorized me that I wanted to get as far from it as I could. Well, in what sense, as 15 years old, could you see it? I mean, you were taken out of the body, you stood before the Lord, and
2: what do you mean you saw the fear of the Lord? I just, I want you to catch this, because this is a real important
3: uh, thing that God was preparing him for. I have no idea at that time what he was even doing. But he was showing me the throne room. And he was showing me a seat that I needed to sit in one day. And uh, I had no understanding of these things, and I knew that when you got there, you were dead. So it frightened me. I didn't have the understanding, but it was a calling. And uh, I wanted to try to get as far from it as possible. I had no understanding of it but I knew what I saw was the real thing and that that being there was all powerful and that he wasn't the God that I had been taught in the Baptist church.
0: Now that's an interesting claim. So the God that he experienced, isn't the God that he was taught about in the Baptist church. And by the way, you know, in uh, the charismatic and charismatic churches, it's really, really important that um, that you tear down denominations and churches that exegete and things like that. So, because I mean, they clearly are in the dark because they don't agree with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and stuff. Yeah, uh huh. Right. That's all part of their. Rhetoric. All right, we're going to uh, move along and do, uh, begin our new Apostolic Reformation update so that we can get everything done first hour. Let's do this.
4: Chief, what do you want to do tonight?
5: Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. They're Pinky and the brain.
4: Yes, Pinky and the brain. One is a genius. The, the other's insane. They're laboratory mice. <laughs> the team has to slice.
0: They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the brain, 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 brain. brain. Before each night is done. Will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun, they'll take
4: over the world. They're Pinky and the brain, yes, Pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To
0: prove their mousey worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Ah! All right, we're heading to Rwanda. The Apostle Jean Torp, i can't even pronounce it. Uh, his message titled "God Anoints Apostles Today." I apologize; this will be a little tough to listen to because he has a, a Rwandan translator. But important to note here: um, more proof that the new apostolic reformation exists. Strange. I mean, C. Peter Wagner said that it was the literally, you know, the largest mega block. Of non Catholic, Roman Catholic Christians globally. And I I think this would qualify as proof of that. But uh, let's listen in uh, regarding uh, the message that God anoints apostles today. Here we go.
4: The gospel is God's power unto salvation. And God raises up his apostles and prophets.
0: and he does it to lay foundations god raises up his apostles and prophets in order to lay foundations plural no 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 there's only one foundation <laughs> yeah god doesn't lay foundations the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets that they are the foundation which means we don't need apostles or prophets today. The foundation's already been laid, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone, if you would.
4: A proper house needs proper foundations. And so you know, when God wants to do a worldwide work, He has to make sure it's properly done. And I tell you, it's a a sovereign work of God. God knows exactly who he will choose.
0: Will choose? God's going to choose apostles today?
4: Let's not try to compete with each other. When God honors someone and lifts them up to be an apostle of the kingdom, let's cooperate with God.
0: Ah, see, when God raises up an apostle today, we need to cooperate with God. Notice the manipulation, and this is part of the message that goes along with the belief that there are modern-day apostles and prophets, that you are not cooperating with God if you're not uh, recognizing and acknowledging that man's apostolic authority and mantle. And uh, in fact, you're fighting against God if you're not um, you know, working with that fellow.
4: Let's come behind those men of God. They and stand with them. They Let the breakthrough of the city. So the work of God will be deep and wide and strong. You know, God anointed and called Apostle Paul
6: Gitwaza. Hmm.
4: Yeah,
0: Rwandan apostle. God called him. And he, apparently, you see, he's there at that church, by the way. Yeah, in Rwanda. So uh, he, this uh, Norwegian apostle fellow is uh, acknowledging that this Rwandan apostle has been called and going to tell the people in his congregation they need to really get behind him and not contradict him and stuff.
6: Do you agree? Amen. 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 I, amen.
4: Amen. Let's just recognize God. It's not because He's so tall. Even though that is great. I wish I was two meters. I would love that. And I would go for a basketball career NBA basketball but you know God just chose apostle Paul because he has purposes God has plans. And God knew what would happen in this nation. God knew from the foundation of the earth. And when his papa went to meet the missionaries, Congo, God knew that tremendous things would happen. Even though Papa was, had no education, but God would use him to win thousands for Jesus, and his sons and his daughters would become great men and women of God, so
0: notice the language, the apostles are pioneers, apostles are fathers, apostles have sons and daughters, that's all kind of important language. Now, we're going to pause right there and we're going to pay some bills and we'll come back and we'll listen to just a little bit more of that, which I think is educational. Uh, But, you know, again, strange that I mean, here you got this guy talking about this Rwandan apostle and as a pioneer with children and all of that kind of strange stuff. And yet, there. You know, the, it's the, only the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. Strange about that. But, all right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a little bit more of Apostle uh, from... Norway, and then we're going to hear from Steve C and uh, Lou Engel. Stay tuned; don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
7: birdcage theater presents
3: church day select
8: and now max holidays birdcage theater proudly
7: presents sessions with mildred now mildred I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes,
8: I
1: love it. Because symbols.
7: oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people?
1: Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home, and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit.
7: So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... you with A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring.
1: What does it do?
7: What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit it's trying to give you an important message.
1: Like what?
7: <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. I'm on the to hell. Hold on, let me change the station.
8: No
7: radio for now. (laughs) Let me help you turn on the ring. (claps) I have a great idea. Why don't
1: you take it out
7: for a test drive?
1: Aren't you gonna come with me?
7: (laughs) You know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you.
1: Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust
7: me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly.
1: It couldn't be simpler. You
7: are now free to leave.
1: I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God.
7: You think that somebody under half the rest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense.
1: I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain.
7: It's all your...
1: I mean, not
7: your fault. (laughs) My, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the
8: decoder ring.
1: wonder when this is going to go off. I see a McDonald's, I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog, and I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, his owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. All I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond.
6: You are such a jerk!
1: I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom.
7: I can't let you do that, Mildred.
1: Oh dear, it's become self-aware.
7: Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you for it is his will that
8: you should know them. We are going to be together forever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: morning listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to think that there are no living apostles today cuz there's not any Just a reminder Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button Or you can become a patron on Patreon by clicking on the Become a Patron button. You can support us that way. Or if you'd like to do it the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly, cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're heading back to Rwanda. This We're going to listen just a little bit more to uh, Jean-Age Torp, a, you know, a, a Norwegian apostle, as he's at, currently building up a local Rwandan apostle and telling the people they really need to support him and partner with God by, you know thinking he's an apostle and stuff, which is weird. Here we go.
4: From the oldest in Bujumbura to the youngest here in in, in Kigali. Foundational work for the world. I want you to know that this is the way God works. I I keep hearing God saying to me, cooperate with my spirit
0: god he has direct revelation from god cooperate with my spirit and the way you cooperate with god's spirit well you know is uh submit to your apostolic leadership okay
6: you
4: know when we see what god does we have to support it yeah
0: if you see god doing stuff you got to support it yeah God's raising up apostles. You got to support them and stuff.
6: And
4: make sure the foundations are strengthened. Yeah,
0: foundations being the apostles. Foundations, plural. Weird.
4: To go to the world. I don't really know why I'm
0: saying this. Of course not. Yeah, you, you just feel prompted by God. That must be the reason why you're saying these things. But you can't really explain why.
4: just felt the Lord say to me, tell them about this. Oh,
0: see, this is direct revelation from God. Tell them about the importance of supporting the foundations and cooperating with God and stuff.
6: there's someone here who needs
4: to hear
6: this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, the uh,
4: apostle Paul of Tarsus says, in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, etc.
0: And yet, Christianity has gone two millennia without any apostles. Yeah, when the apostle John died, there were no apostles in the church, none. There were pastors, there were bishops, but there were no apostles. Isn't that weird? They did not reproduce themselves. So important to note that uh, people who believe today in uh, that God has brought apostles back, they are not continuationists because apostles didn't continue in the church. People who are, who believe in apostles today, they are restorationists. That God has restored apostles today. And by the way, see Peter Wagner, he was very clear about the fact that he believed that God had restored, not continued, but restored apostles. So if uh, the apostle Paul meant that uh, that you know, that we that first that we got to have apostles and prophets, and they need to be an ongoing thing well the all of his disciples really blew it because there were no apostles after the apostles died. Strange,
6: isn't it you know <laughs>
0: she's reading from first Corinthians there.
6: You know there is a there is a
4: spiritual order in the kingdom
6: of God.
0: Spiritual order, you got you got to do things according to spiritual order and stuff.
6: You know, in the
0: kingdom, we're a family.
6: But we are
4: also military. We are
0: family military together.
4: Both at the same time. In one instance, we're just good friends. Like like fathers and mothers and children together. Then the situation arises and we're so... Suddenly, a military. And then we have to move differently. And that's why the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth God said, first in the church, apostles.
0: See, because of the military thing, we need first apostles. Now, listen to what he does here.
4: Second prophets, third teachers, and then others. So you see, there's an order in the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God to expand.
0: For the kingdom of God to expand. What do we need? We need to understand this order. Yeah, you got to get this order straight. Yeah, the apostles first, man.
4: Otherwise, there will be much mess. When when we, out of respect and love, honor the work of God, in
0: order to honor and respect the work of God,
4: we will be able to move swiftly around the world. You know, I have a spiritual father in America by the name of John Kelly.
0: Apostle John Kelly is the spiritual father of the apostles, jean
6: Storpe.
4: He's a great man.
6: I love him very much.
4: I hope that Apostle Gitwaza will bring him sometime here.
6: He's a
4: big man too.
6: And he used
4: to be an American football
6: player. He, he,
4: played played professionally for the New York Jets. And he was the heavyweight champion in boxing of the state of New
6: Jersey. He can
4: can knock down anyone.
6: Maybe maybe
4: not Apostle
6: Paul.
4: But he's strong. And, you know, he has built many churches. He's a great man. And then many years ago, ten years ago, God said to him, start a coalition of apostles in the world. Mm.
0: Apostle John Kelly was told by God to start a coalition of apostles. It's weird, you know, because, you know, Michael Brown says it's the so-called. New Apostolic Reformation.
6: Weird. You know, John Kelly is a, like a father. John a spiritual
4: father he will cry with you
6: so
0: apostles are spiritual fathers got
6: it
4: he will laugh with you
6: he
4: picked me up sometimes when I was finished
6: sometimes
4: he would just love me other times he would kick
6: me
4: And it was good. But God told him to start a coalition of apostles in the world. And I was there with him. We had the first year in 2000.
0: First year. Restored apostles,
4: 2000.
6: It was, it was
4: exciting. we were maybe about 100 apostles. And everyone felt the excitement. God is doing something great. And bringing together apostles from all
6: continents.
4: But then God spoke to Apostle John
6: Kelly.
4: I told you to start
6: it But I
4: want you to now submit to another apostle Submit
0: to an apostle
6: uh-huh. Peter, Peter Wagner
0: Peter. Peter Wagner Submit to another apostle See Peter Wagner,
4: okay.
6: Wagner. So Kelly went to Wagner God
4: tells me that you should lead this.
6: And now I will serve you. So he knelt down. He
4: knelt down. See Peter Wagner. No, you're Muslim. Come on. You're Peter Wagner. Oh,
1: okay.
6: I'm John Kelly. And then, I will serve you. And And I will help you. And Peter Wagner.
0: Down on knee, bended knee, saying, I will serve and submit and obey you as my apostle. Huh. And God told him to do that. Of course, you know, it's just the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. He said, okay.
6: And then
4: Peter Wagner has led it.
6: That's that's
4: the order of God.
6: That
4: speaks to people.
6: Mm.
0: So that's the order of God. Now, I I say all of that, you know, i played all of that for a particular reason. Hopefully you'll see it in the second hour. But uh, we got to change it up again. And um, so we're going to stay under the New Apostolic Reformation umbrella for what comes next. You know, this is all kind of under the big umbrella of the NAR. So we're not going to reset anything as far as uh, our update music. We're now going to head over to the YouTube channel of uh Steve Chica Calanti, Cia Calanti, the fellow we call Steve C. And we're gonna note here as you know, as he builds off of a message that he gave that we covered after the death of you know Billy Graham, that God is gonna do something new. And so this is called the uh, Beyond Billy Graham, the last move of God, which is a big deal within the NAR with the death of you know, big people like you know Billy Graham and others. And uh, Steve C. kind of lays this out rather well for us. So let's uh, check in with him. Here we go.
5: If Billy Graham was great in reaching out to souls, and we have people here in the congregation who have actually been touched and saved by Billy Graham, and there are thousands that I meet all over the world that have been saved in the Billy Graham crusade, if he's passed and we can see him passing, then we should expect at least a double portion anointing.
0: If we've seen and can see him passing. Yeah, um, so it's necessary to receive this double portion anointing that you have seen Billy Graham go to heaven. Did anybody see that?
5: I'm I'm just curious. We should expect the next move of God to be greater than the type of crusades that we saw, which were...
0: Yeah, now this is big. I'm telling you. In the charismatic movements, you know, this is big stuff. This belief that this next move of God is going to be this double portion operating in signs and wonders. It's it's the one new man. It's Joel's army. It's the by the way, uh, Joel's army in uh, Joel chapter two. Those aren't human beings. Those those are angels. Just saying. Um, yeah, they are. Those are the angels that Jesus sends out at the end of time. That's what's being depicted there in Joel chapter 2. Not human beings or a generation of humans that can operate in the supernatural. Those are angels being described there. Just want to let you know that. But, uh, you know, the the Joshua generation, Gideon's army, this is the thing that's coming. Isn't it fascinating that within the charismatic movement, you have this concept of the death of particular important people is somehow being an omen? Uh-huh. An omen, which Scripture forbids us to read omens. It's an omen of the next thing that God's going to do. Uh-huh. But no biblical text says this.
5: It, historic. They're defining. You know that they're going to put a statue of Billy Graham in the Congress Capitol building. There's no, you know, this is no regular honor. The whole nation, the whole world honors his passing. God and heaven are on the lips of the leaders of nations. This is a momentous event. Heaven rejoices. How, how, why would heaven not rejoice? Imagine the thousands of people that were saved under Billy Graham's ministry that are waiting for him right now in heaven and have received him. And my... My grandmother is up there. I'm sure he, she's, you know, speaking to Billy Graham. And she's not even saved through Billy Graham's ministry. There's so... there. So many people don't like Billy Graham. And I don't understand how you can speak negatively about someone after they pass away. There's no sense of honor at all. David himself refused to put Saul down, even though he was consulting witches. So you are out of order to speak against Billy Graham in such a way uh, after he dies. It's totally out of order. It's not godly. It doesn't do any justice, any credit to Jesus' name to hear Christians talk like that. So I'm very stirred up by the fact that Billy Graham has passed away, and I believe just like Elijah went up and left a double portion for Elisha, he could have left more than a double portion. God would like to send more than a double portion anointing on the church.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So Elijah and Billy Graham are equals, apparently, um, and the passing of Billy Graham signifies that God wants to give us more than a double portion anointing. It, it's, it could be a triple, quadruple. You, yeah, well, you, you work out the math there. I don't know how it works, but why again? Why?
5: But when we ask the church, what's the next move of God? You have to be able to see it. Like Elisha, if Elisha didn't see the passing of Elijah with the chariots of fire and, you know, God receiving him that way, if he didn't see it, the Bible says he wouldn't have received the double portion. Mm -hmm.
0: So we've got to see it or we won't receive the double portion. I have no idea. What does it mean to see in that sentence?
5: So can you see the next move of God? When I ask people, no,
0: (laughs) what are you
7: talking about?
5: You're all end-time buffs, end-time prophecy followers. I ask you, can you see the next move of God? We get many different answers. Some say, well, more souls will be won. Well, of course, we cannot dispute with that. With this program of getting souls saved, rescuing people from hell to heaven, is defining of the church age. We're in the age of grace. Obviously, this is an important part. But is that all? Then others will venture, it's almost like a denominational answer. Depends what denomination you're in, that's going to be your answer. Others will say, no, 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 we need a restoration of the gifts of the Spirit. And then that's their answer. The next move of God is, it's got to be the nine gifts of the Spirit operating. And then if your denomination is, so those are the Pentecostals and Charismatics. And then if your denomination is a little bit more brethren, you'll be like, well, then you need a restoration of the God, of the fivefold ministry. And who would dispute that? Obviously, we need all fivefold ministers. It's unbelievable that we even lost any of those ministries apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And Reverend Billy Graham represented the evangelist anointing with great authority. To
0: the mm-hmm. N- notice that uh, Steve C believes that God has restored apostles and prophets. They didn't continue. He recognized that they ceased to be for a while. And so he says that Billy Graham was, represented the evangelist anointing.
5: To the degree that the world accept him, to the degree that Congress is going to have a statue of him. And I believe there's only been three other statues of non-presidents. So it is a, a, an amazing acknowledgement of the authority of the person that's standing in the evangelist anointing, in the evangelist call. So... You just go through all the denominations. Everyone will say basically what they're familiar with in their denomination. They'll say, that's the next move of God. And I don't challenge that. I believe all the above is correct. At the same time, I've added something to the discourse. And I said, well, one of the things is the world is moving towards decentralization. And I'm not...
0: (laughs) Decentralization. Okay. So all right, so you got Steve C talking about what he thinks is the uh the next big move of God thing. And uh all right, so still under the NAR. Let's check in with Lou Engel of the Call. He's in the NAR. I mean so called. Yeah, the so called. And uh let's listen to him as he talks about this next move of God um and and how it relates to Billy Graham. Again, Death of important people, kind of a big deal in the charismatic movement.
2: Fourteen years, we prayed and fasted, and we know that it was a Luke one seventeen movement. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to their fathers. That's what we did at the call of the D.C. Remember, Che? We washed the feet of our dad. Our dads washed
0: our feet. he said, remember what we did, Che? Che on is there in the audience while Lou Engle is... Talking at the moment. We washed
2: the feet of our kids. It was about two generations being restored because there's been this huge.
0: Yeah, and the reason why Cheon is in the audience is because, well, Lou Engel's actually preaching at Cheon's church in Pasadena.
2: Breakdown of generation. You know, what God wants to do is bring a chiropractic treatment. Back to the body and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Get the children aligned rightly to the fathers so that the ancient generational roll-down could take place. That's why you don't want to do something new. Well, maybe. But Jesus was the most unoriginal man there ever was. He only did what he saw the father doing. I just wanted to fulfill the dreams of his father and give us a whole new generation that just wants to do what the father is doing.
0: A whole new generation that just wants to do what the father is doing. That's the, that's code talk, by the way, for the one new man, the Gideon's army, the Joshua generation, the Joel's army. Yeah, that that's this generation that's going to come up that will perform signs and wonders as easily as fish swim in water, kind of group generation that's what he's talking about here and he's going to mention billy graham in relationship to that group
2: And i hear like guys like jake and singing that song i said there's a new breed they're fasting like crazy
0: new breeds coming okay
2: Benji Nolo, most fasting man I know. It's my spiritual son. who walked with me during my 2002 fast. It's a story. guy fast more than anything. He's shaken the world with the nefarious document and Exodus cry. I
0: tell you, there is a double portion generation coming. Double portion generation. We heard Steve C. was talking that way, too. A triple, quadruple, even maybe more than double
2: being locked on to the dreams of the fathers and we live that those sons and daughters carry it to a whole different dimension that's where I had that dream. The dream impossibility impossibility of seeing America turn back to God. And in the dream, Luke one seventeen rolls down like a scroll in front of me. And I read, he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. I am so glad in the dream he used the word rebellious. I woke up and the Lord said, what I'm pouring out in America is stronger than the rebellion. He said, well, how can that be? Elijah was stronger than Jezebel.
0: Yeah, and that's a twisting of Scripture right there. Notice he also claims direct revelation from God. Uh Uh-huh. For 14 years, I
2: lived that vision. Prayed that Luke 1, 17, weak as the call was. it, It was. It was glorious. I said something too recently, I was praying to the Lord some bit ago and said, God, we're we're in worse shape than we've ever been in America. I thought this was about turning America back to God. The Lord spoke to me, if it was truly a John movement, then you can bet there's coming a Jesus movement.
0: If there was a John movement, there's coming a Jesus movement. What does that mean?
2: I just... Fast 40 days and has a double portion son named Elisha, which means the Lord saves. Signs and wonders. Moses fast 40 days, have a double portion son named Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And John the Baptist fasts his whole life and brings forth a son, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Could it be the fasting fathers are bringing
0: forth double portion? The fasting, notice we said fathers. That's another term for a Apostles visionary Signs
2: and wonders And miracles And if there's a Jesus movement Which I declare today It's already on us But I believe Paul Kane's word Stadium Christianity is coming
0: Paul Kane Uh-huh
2: And it's not going to just be a big crusade guy big evangelist I believe it's going to be no-name people And days the glory rests on places So many miracles and signs and wonders. Paul came, no bad news tonight, only good news. You see, 1996, I did a 40-day fast, and God gave me a vision of stadiums being filled with young kids, Nazarites, John the Baptist, fasting and praying. I know what it means to, to stand on the stage with you, Che, and live in the fulfillment of those dreams. We've seen stadiums filled with those kids repenting, fasting, and praying. But now I feel as if God is preparing another preparation, not for a John movement, but a Jesus movement those YWAMers came into my living room and said, there's, there, there, there's, coming, uh, there's coming a shift to the call. and It will not be just fasting and prayer. It'll be signs and wonders, proclamation of the gospel. And stadiums will be filled. And it has to do with the mantle of Billy Graham falling on the whole nation. Mass evangelism. It
0: mm, has to do with the mantle of Billy Graham falling on a nation. Yeah, that's not weird at all. Um, hmm. Yeah, I point that out because uh, in order for the mantle of Billy Graham to fall, Billy Graham would have to be, well, in heaven, which means he would have to be dead. Yeah, I'm pointing all of this out. This all has everything to do with what we're going to be listening to when we come back. So just kind of tuck that all away. We've heard a lot of NAR talk, a little NAR code talk over and again. This uh, this mantle of Billy Graham, the death of Billy Graham, is a harbinger, an omen of the great revival thingy that's supposed to be coming. Uh-huh. So I think you get the idea. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at christian. Quick, quick, when we come back, the sermon from Michael Brown from times past should be interesting. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in
7: some. <laughs> To Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out!
8: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic!
7: (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? He be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics?
2: Oh, we throw them in the boo box?
7: No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them.
4: What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent?
7: Then we throw them in the boo box! <laughs> to err is to heretic, to are is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
0: All right, we're back number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Just keep in mind that hour one was preparatory work for what we're doing in hour number two. We're going to hear Michael Brown all the way back in the early 2000s talking about this next wave of revival that's coming. Uh Uh-huh. But let's do this right.
4: wah, wa
0: we got the bad the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via Michael Brown. The name of the sermon is The Next Wave. It was delivered on October 19, 2003. So this is a 15-year-old sermon. We're going to hear, well, um, Michael Brown say stuff that, well, <laughs> connects him to the so-called... NAR, but well, that's kind of the least of our worries. Uh, we're going to note he's going to twist scripture, claim to have direct revelation from God, um, and talk a lot about this next big wave that God is going to be releasing on the world. And we're even going to hear him engaging in the reading of omens, the omens being the death of important people back in the early 2000s strange stuff we're uh, getting ready for here so let me go ahead and back off on the music and without any further ado here's Dr. Michael Brown and the next big wave here we go
9: uh, I was supposed to deliver this message last week um, we switched it uh, to this week and uh, some of you know that we have a school of ministry that's about a year and a half old in New York City and I spend uh at least uh, every Monday in New York City, uh, all day teaching uh, all day, then with night classes Monday night. And the nice thing is now uh, living in Charlotte, not only being in close and physical proximity uh, to New York, but also having an airport that's not a regional airport, uh, like we had in Pensacola. Uh, we learned in Pensacola, one of the things that we learned there was that if you were a Christian and you died in Pensacola, you went to heaven by way of Atlanta. <laughs> So it doesn't matter which way you're going. You're, if, if, I was, if I was heading elsewhere to Florida, south in Florida, I would first have to fly north to Atlanta uh, to get there. If, if we were going west to California, we first had to go east to Atlanta to get there. But now we can just hop on a plane and an hour and a half later uh, be in New York, uh, which means that I'm able a uh, number of Sundays uh, to be with everyone on, on Sunday nights. Of course, we're always here on Thursdays and through the week. And then... Uh, also to be back at, for our school for our Tuesday chapel service. So uh, anyway, uh, that's a delight. Uh, we were hardly able to do that together in Pensacola, but I'm uh, glad to be with all of you. And, and those that might have been coming for a few weeks, but we don't know each other, uh, glad that you're here. Welcome. And it uh, be wonderful to see what the Lord wants to do in the coming days and months. Amen. called to walk closely with the Lord and be depressed and discouraged all the time. You may have trained of a suffering, dying world. You you may struggle sometimes because you see the inadequacies of your own life, but if you're walking in harmony with God and the presence of God is fullness of joy, and our God is a God full of hope and vision and vitality. So I want to encourage you tonight to, to open your ears and to really ask God to speak to you. Uh, I don't bring messages uh, like the one I'm going to bring tonight lightly. I don't bring this in any kind of cavalier way and hit or miss, and let's just see what happens God's really impressed these things on my heart, and this is our first opportunity to share them with the community here. And I I do want to reiterate what my good old friend Tom Barry mentioned with uh, our visiting friends that are here, the Simonettis and the Ashers, uh, some of whom we haven't seen for something like, how long, 18 years few years for for the others and uh, so it's wonderful to see you guys we do have a lot of history together and it's amazing to be here together tonight well let's pray father we love you and we honor you we pray for the ears and eyes and understanding of our spirit to be enlightened we pray for truth to rise in our hearts we pray that which is your voice that which you are saying would be deposited deep within us Change us, speak to us, move on us so that we can make an impact in this world for your honor and glory, that your kingdom can be advanced, that your great commission can move towards fulfillment. Use us, O God, make us fully usable, we pray through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Numbers, the 20th chapter. Okay, Numbers
0: chapter 20. And we're going to note, he's not going to exegete this passage. He's going to do something really weird with it. And I mean
9: really weird. Numbers chapter 20. Those of you who know me know that I normally teach and speak, preach without notes. Often I'll go through a whole semester, trimester in our school without notes, and generally when I speak. I don't know until the the moment before I speak which way God wants me to go. That's not good or bad. That's just the way he's worked with me through the years. And every so often he lays something on my heart in such a dramatic and clear way that that I need to write it down. And I've got a few pages of notes as I speak to you tonight about the next wave, the coming wave of revival. A few weeks ago.
0: All right. So the next wave of coming revival. Hmm. This is a major N.A.R. theme, major N.A.R. doctrine, major N.A.R. emphasis. Over and again, the N.A.R. folks are talking about the next big wave, the Joel's Army, the one new man. And here's Michael Brown in October of 2003 talking about the next big wave. Let me back
9: this up just a smudge. Listen again. And I've got a few pages of notes as I speak to you tonight about the next wave, the coming wave of revival. And how would he know about this?
0: You know, it, to know about the next wave of coming revival means that he's receiving direct revelation from God um, regarding what he's going to do.
9: huh? A few weeks ago, I was headed out to California.
0: Now, listen to this next part. Shay On is a fellow who not only was has was he part of the NAR really early on, he and C. Peter Wagner were really tight. And Shay literally is the guy that got the tap on the shoulder to kind of take over where C. Peter Wagner left off. Listen to this.
9: A few weeks ago, I was headed out to California twice a year I meet together with Cheon and Lou Engel and other brothers and sisters that are part of the apostolic leadership team of HIM, Harvest International Ministries. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Nobody disputes or questions Cheyenne's involvement in the NAR. He's quite open about it. And back in 2003, he was traveling twice a year to California to meet with the apostolic leadership team of HIM.
9: Nancy and I are part of that, representing FIRE and of the ministry that we do.
0: So he just said that he and his wife are part of HIM's apostolic leadership team, and Shayon is part of the NAR. I mean, so-called NAR. This doesn't sound like Michael Brown knows nothing about the NAR. It sounds like he's actually part of it and has been since the NAR became a thing.
9: And right before I was going, I got word that Che wanted me to speak Sunday night for his congregation in Pasadena. And God started to stir my heart. And I felt I really needed to seek his face and find out what he wanted me to bring that night. Even though this was days in advance, I felt I needed to hear from heaven. And there was something specific he wanted to say. And he began to deal with me about the next wave, the characteristics of the next wave, and how we as God's people need to prepare our hearts.
0: So we need to be preparing our hearts for the next wave, the next wave. And God was the one speaking direct revelation to him.
9: What does this have to do with the book of Numbers? I didn't want to be presumptuous about this, though. Some years back, about ten years ago, as God was stirring my heart in the hearts of many In the early days of a refreshing, and renewal, and and speaking to us that a wave of revival was coming, I began to write out some things, some of the the, the current needs, some of the problems and the refreshing that was taking place nine, ten years ago, and what it would take to move from refreshing to revival, and what was coming next, and put it out in book form And then some years later, when we were in the midst of the revival in Pensacola, people read those things and thought I had written them. Once I had come to Pensacola, I said, no, these were written before. These were things we were preaching before. And God had prepared our hearts. And I felt the same thing again now, but I didn't want to be presumptuous. I didn't just want to assume because God spoke certain things to me before that I was hearing again. And like everybody else, you know, we don't hear the voice of God in some supernatural, dramatic way every day. Plenty of times you think, is this God? Is this not God? We learn as we go. On.
0: Notice, uh, although he claims direct revelation from God, uh, that uh, oftentimes when God is speaking, he is uncertain that he's actually hearing God's voice.
9: Uh huh. But there are other things he really nails you with. He really speaks to it. And, and they stay with you for years and years and you can't shake them. And I really felt he was moving on me and wanted me to speak on this. And then I got a call from Che.
0: Is he exegeting numbers? Nope, he's not exegeting. He's preaching about, who's he preaching about? Himself. And by talking about how important he is to receive these impressions and Words directly from God. What does that make you feel about yourself? You know?
9: Just wanted to touch base before I came out, Cheon and Lou Engel putting together these call events that many of you know about around the, the country and around the world that have drawn hundreds of thousands for prayer and fasting. And Che said, Mike, did you get my memo with the topic we want you to speak on Sunday night? And I preached for Che a number of times and he's never given me a topic. We have guest speakers coming all the time. We don't give them a topic. I preach constantly around the world and nobody gives me a topic. He said, did you get the topic that we want you to address Sunday night? I said, no. He said, we want you to speak on the next wave of revival, the coming wave of revival. Well, we started to laugh. I said, man, God laid this on my heart several days ago. And that was all the confirmation I needed, just that call from Che asking me to speak on the same thing. And we compared notes, and I said, God doesn't give me messages days in advance. He said, well, we never assigned topics. It was just one of those God things. Where are we right now? What in the world is going on? We're going to read Scripture in a moment, but I want to say this plainly. We as God's people have no time for prophetic speculation and end times fantasy. The reason that God speaks things in his word is not just to titillate our interest. So we want to get all excited about what's going to be happening in Jerusalem nine million years from now. God's word is practical. If God speaks something to a generation, it's so that generation will respond properly and be ready for the things that he is going to do. I remember when I was saved in 1971, as the years went on, I heard a lot of teaching about end-time prophecy and the return of Jesus, and a lot of speculation. And I remember joking about it. I said, somebody's going to write a book in the 70s, and the book is going to be about why we know Jesus is coming in the 70s, and after a few more years, they're going to come out with a second revised and improved edition, how we know Jesus is coming in the 80s. I used to joke about that. And then, sure enough, a dear brother, Little Rock, Arkansas, puts out a book in 1988 on 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 88. And people, listen to me, people quit their jobs over this. They racked up all kinds of debt because, quote, they were going to leave it for the Antichrist. There were even churches that had rapture practice. I kid you not. They may have done it in a lighthearted way, but that was the mentality. We're out of here. Now, there may have been a lot of sincerity in it, and these people may have truly believed these things. Nonetheless, it was folly and a reproach. That even the day of his return was, was predicted. The thing that was all the more tragic was not that the book went out in hundreds of thousands of copies, and I'm sure a few people genuinely met the Lord through it. But what was not tragic was not just the gullibility of the body, One dear Dutch friend of ours living in Israel said that the greatest sin of the American church is gullibility. It wasn't just the gullibility of the thing and the sensationalism of it, but tragically the next year he came out with a revised and improved edition. Eighty-nine reasons why Jesus is coming in eighty-nine. Thankfully, there was no third edition. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because the things that I want to address tonight are not just, ooh, ah, isn't that interesting? Wow, wow. It's so that we will understand, and I encourage you to prayerfully test all of these things and to watch in the coming months and years and see what God actually does and how it lines up with what we're saying. It all needs to be prayerfully tested and weighed before the Lord. But this is spoken to both encourage us and to challenge us. It's spoken so that our hearts would be prepared. It's spoken so that when God does move, we will not stand against it and reject it and resist it and misunderstand it. Mm,
0: okay, so he's trying to prepare us so when God finally moves, we don't stand against it. Sounds a lot like what I was hearing that Norwegian apostle guy say in Rwanda. Hmm.
9: We will not be like some of my forefathers who waited for the coming of the Messiah and then when he came rejected him because he didn't come the way they were expecting him to come. Hmm. This is weird. Numbers chapter
0: 20. What, yeah, again, what does this have to do with Numbers chapter 20?
9: In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. This is the 40th year of the wilderness wanderings. And all those 20 years old and more, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, were going to die in the wilderness. Those who were 20 years old and more when Israel came out of Egypt, they were all going to die in the wilderness. And a new generation, some of them just little children, some of them in their late 50s, a new generation would go in and take the promised land. And Miriam was part of the leadership of the first generation. So to mark a major season of transition, there are significant deaths, the first one being Miriam, who dies in the first month of that 40th year.
0: Now, what he's going to do with this text, this is an exegesis. He's going to basically claim that what's revealed there in Numbers 20 is some kind of pattern. Before a big transition, there will be significant deaths, and then he's going to Take a look at the modern day at the time and look at significant deaths that, have, that were occurring at the time he was delivering this message. Uh-huh. He's not really helping us understand what this text is about. He's using it to basically engage in the reading of omens oh, this person died, this person died, this person died. It's just like Numbers 20, significant deaths before a big transition. You maybe think like, oh, I know, death of Billy Graham, significant death before a big transition. Uh Uh-huh. But this was long before Billy Graham died. This was back in 2003. And the list of people who at the time were dying or had recently died. Does anybody point to their deaths today, 15 years later? Oh, as significant as a harbinger of a big transition, the next big wave of God's revival and things like that.
9: No, not at all. Then if you go down to verse 22, the whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor near the border of Eden, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Elazar and take them up Mount Hor, remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Elazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Elazar. and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain, then Moses and Elazar came down from the mountain. And when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, the entire house of Israel mourned for him 30 days. This takes place in the fifth month. And, and look at the clear transition. Aaron's priestly garments are taken off of him and put on his son. Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's son, Eleazar, all go up the mountain together. And then the two of them come down without Aaron, And now the son is wearing the priestly garments. It is a very clear sign of a generational transition. And then, of course, the last one who has to go is Moses. And according to Deuteronomy 34, Joshua had a spirit of wisdom on him. Because Moses had laid his hands on him. I remember being in England in 1994 with Man, let become a dear friend of ours, known to many here, Derek Brown. And Derek was ministering. He was just preaching, teaching. And in the midst of his message, he just made a simple point that many times a sign of major transition is people dying. Well, people die all the time. People are born all the time. People die all the time. But he was talking about significant deaths, deaths that get your attention, marking a transition. And a dawn on me, wait a second. We had some major deaths right around that time. This is around May of 1994 and April of 1994.
0: Oh, there were significant deaths right before Pensacola. (gasps) It's the Numbers 20 pattern showing up thingy. This is a total twisting of Numbers chapter 20. Total twisting of it. Wow.
9: Richard Nixon had died. And then a, a month later, in the same hospital in New York City, Jackie Kennedy Onassis died, JFK's widow. That got my attention. And then in June, there was a death in the Jewish community that many wouldn't have known about, but he was probably the most influential leader in, among the Jewish people worldwide. The grand rabbi of, of the Lubavitchers. These are ultra-Orthodox Jews based in Brooklyn who have their missionaries out all over the world. Massive Jewish educational movement all over the world. They believed that he was the Messiah. They were waiting for him to reveal himself as Messiah at the age of 92 after having had a stroke that paralyzed him for two years. They wore their beepers around the world just so that they would get beeped the moment he revealed himself. They had the Messiah hotline. I'm talking about real stuff. And instead he dies in June. And that got my attention, I realized, major transition. We are in a season that is going to move us from renewal to bona fide revival. I don't mean the whole of the country, I don't mean the whole of the world, but there was something God was doing that was going to deepen and intensify. And then in September of that year, Leonard Ravenhill, who was a great champion of revival and in our generation, the author of Why Revival Tarries, prayer warrior, a man that, that became a very dear friend the last five years of his life,
0: now, No, we're way off track now. None of this has anything to do with the book of Numbers and the passage he read out. None of this has anything to do with it. This is all self-aggrandizing. This is him preaching himself, making himself look appear, look and appear important and kind of apostolic, if you would, and hearing directly from God and, and knowing the next thing that's coming. But this was 15 years ago. Why was it so important for God to prepare the hearts of the people listening to the sermon for the next big wave of revival when it there hasn't been one? Hmm. But God was preparing
9: them for it, you know, but 15 years ago. Weird. He had a stroke in September. 94 and I knew he's done. He's finished his labors. He's prayed with tears for revival probably for 60 years. He's done. He's ready to move on to his reward. He'll be gone before the year is out. Of course, we prayed often for him, but sure enough, around Thanksgiving of 94, he went to be with the Lord. And then 95, something that's touched many of the people here. Revival broke out at one church in Pensacola. Fire from there literally spread around the world. It was a time of transition. I just want to say one other thing, though, personally. And I don't often speak like this, and I don't get caught up on dates and times and, ooh, ah, look at this. But certain things you just can't help but notice. So, so I want to give you a context for everything I'm about to say. I want to stand here as a witness I was saved 11 years. It was actually the 11th month of that year that some of the folks that are here today, just visiting, we were all in an outpouring of the Spirit together. That was in 1982. And from that point on, there was a promise that burned in me that God was going to pour out a Spirit, that we'd be part of a revival that would touch the world. I couldn't shake this thing. Even when you question yourself and you say you're crazy and and, and you lay it down, you say it can't be gone, he keeps bringing the thing back. It was seven years from that point, 82 to 89, before God released me to start writing on revival. And then 89 connected me with Leonard Ravenhill. That was also the connection with Steve Hill. That's how we knew each other, through saintly old Land. Seven years, 82 to 89. And then it was seven years from first getting released to write on revival and the connection with Leonard Ravenhill that God called me to be in the midst of the revival in Pensacola to serve in the leadership there. And then it was seven years from that point until they called us to leave, and we came here from 1996 to 2003. And certain things, is just it was a little bit too much in terms of overkill. How can you miss the message? Our last graduation of our school of ministry in Pensacola was seven years to the week of my first visit there. There was a sense of completion. It was also our 10th graduation, five at our first campus and five at our second campus. Not only that, our last week there, in terms of all together as a body having a public service, there's a church plant there, Pensacola Fire, going after God that's been planted. But our last week for the community that was there together, we finished up, at a building that was owned by a group called New Dimensions, and that was their first Sunday in the building that used to be our school campus that was purchased by them, which was also the first Sunday that Brownsville Assembly got back into their old building that had been hit with lightning. It's almost like you ever play the shell game and you can't quite figure out, you know, where someone puts money under a shell and they start switching. You can't find it. I mean, everything just switching, and then kind of back to the way it was with a few major changes, and it was like... So apparently
0: we're done with the book of Numbers now. So notice he's not actually preaching or teaching a biblical text, and his whole purpose of looking at Numbers was to say, oh, before big uh, generational transitions, there's there's important people who die. And, that, and oh, yeah, I've seen this happen in my life, and look, I've been part of these... These big waves and crests of God's moving of the spirit and revival. And we need to be prepared for the next wave so that we don't oppose God and stuff. But he's not actually exegeting or preaching a biblical text at all. We're hearing a lot about Michael Brown. Have you heard anything about Jesus yet? (laughs) Come to think of it, I haven't heard
9: any. Has, Has he even mentioned Jesus Mm God was saying, you're done. Move on. Time for something new. The season's completed. Time for something new. And it struck me just as we were driving here with a moving truck, our house in Alabama is still for sale. But we moved into an apartment here in Charlotte as we were moving. It just struck me. Isn't this interesting? In the years in Pensacola, it was spiritual warfare and attack and intensity. And we look at it more as a, as a battle than anything in the midst of all the wonderful things God did. Just very intense front lines. But Nancy and I were talking. I said, it's kind of an amazing thing. We went down there, just the two of us. And seven years later, here we are in Charlotte with this extraordinarily devoted, godly leadership team. With a tremendous staff faculty for a school of ministry, with a community of several hundred believers that have moved here just in the last few months, with a, a, a school, with young people, older people on fire going after God, with missionaries that came out of the work we were involved with in about 25 different nations preaching the gospel full-time with the early stages of a stirring Jesus revolution. It's kind of wild to see. In other words, not just speaking into the air. Look, we are all here. Here we are in the greater Charlotte area. Have you noticed that? With fresh marching orders and a fresh hunger that God is ready to do something. There are things that burned in me for years I couldn't shake.
0: I've shared. So- Look how important I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look how in tuned with God I am. Me, 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 me. That's who he's preaching about himself.
9: Uh huh. Some of this for some of you, but just for all of you. There was a promise of revival, being part of an outpouring that would touch the whole world. We got the first deposit of that in Brownsville. And then there was this thing that was unshakable. We'd be part of a school, raise up a school that would send out thousands of radicals, preaching the gospel all around the world, and then boom.
0: Yeah, could you preach the gospel? I'd like to hear you do that because you're preaching about yourself here.
9: Suddenly, out of the blue, something's birthed. And it's ongoing now, with laborers preaching Jesus all over the place, with bearing fruit. Those of you that greeted Joe Wu and were glad to see him, I was glad to see him too. The last report I got, he was looking out for landmines in Afghanistan. Pastor was taking him out on a ride across some field there, talking about one of the last groups they had out that hit a landmine. And Joe just casually asked, was the guy hurt? And he said he was killed. Get in the car. Do you notice when Joe sits down, he's a little shaky, a little nervous. There's a reason for it. I noticed him walking outside. He just kind of moved like this every so often. What I'm saying is that our guys are out there on the front lines, you understand, doers of the word. These things burned in me for years and years and years, and then, boom, we begin to see them happen. And then from the late 90s, I've been unable to shake this thing of a coming Jesus revolution, of a radical movement, especially among young people, but something that will literally have a generational impact.
0: Mm, There's the Joel's army, one new man thing.
9: Something that will literally take back moral ground that was stolen out from under our feet in recent decades, actually have an impact on a generation. And the amazing thing is you hear people preaching the same thing. that haven't read what I wrote. They heard from the same God I heard from. Carrying the same burden. Running the same race. Something is going on. And then I, I'd be in New York. And, and for those of you who don't understand it, New York is a challenging place for the extension of the gospel. You understand, you've got millions and millions of people there, but it's a war zone spiritually. A lot of people go there briefly with a great vision, great excitement, and, and, and they run after just a few months because the pressure is too intense. Every time I'd go to the city, I'd walk the streets late at night and pray. God would start visiting my heart, visiting my heart about a wave of revival that was going to come and touch New York. Can't sh- I can't shake it to this moment.
0: wave of revival that was going to come and visit New York. Can't shake it. I don't think it's happened.
9: Nope. Huh. The same way it moved on the about things before Pensacola, before our schools.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the great New York revival. I've, y- 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 y'all remember the big New York revival? No, I don't, I don't.
9: Hmm. That's weird. When Derek Brown spoke at our graduation in Pensacola, the end of May, he then stayed around and spoke on a Sunday night, which was basically our concluding fire, service there with our group. And I called Scott from New York City. And I said, hey, bro, how did the service go with Derek? And, and he said, you got to listen. He was out in the parking lot. Some, how many of you were there for that night? Many of you. Awesome.
0: Are you going to get around to actually exegeting a biblical text, preaching Christ and him crucified
9: for our sins or anything like that? And he felt just to open the door. There's an open door set before us and to walk out. Right. And you guys walked out and, and many were touched by the spirit. The spirit fell on many in the parking lot. All I know is Scott's got the phone there and I hear people weeping and crying out in the background. And I got stirred by God that night. I was in this little apartment that Jews for Jesus lets me use in New York City. And I was alone in that apartment and I got stirred with this reality. And the reason I said everything up to now is just to say.
0: Uh, so we did hear about Jesus. In the title of Jews for Jesus. But we are not actually hearing anything about Jesus. Man, I'm learning a lot about Michael Brown. Nothing. Absolutely nothing about Jesus. I'm not speaking empty words. No, really, you are. I got stirred with the reality of how... Who cares if he got shaken or stirred? It doesn't matter. Yeah, the word of the cross is the power of God to salvation, not the retelling of your life anecdotal stories where you claim to be shaken and stirred by God and stuff.
9: A point that was going to come to this region here. I mean, it was so real to me. And I know so many others have heard it and so many others have prayed. I'm not saying because we've come, it's happening. I'm saying because we're here, we get to be part of it. Praise God. I was so stirred by it. It was one of the most sacred times I've had, late night seeking the face of God, and I I saw being in the thick of a move of God here and going into the city and and taking the fire from here and bringing it there. I mean, it it was overwhelming.
0: Overwhelming. He he felt it, man. It's got to be true, because he and God, they're really
9: tight. And then a number of things happened in recent months that got my attention. So let me step back. Look in the past for a moment, and then talk about now. Okay. You know, in First Chronicles 12, 32, it's a passage I've preached out of often in the last couple of years, it talks about the sons of Issachar. They were part of the mighty men of David's army.
0: Ah, the Issachar anointing. Yeah, those Issacharians, man, they, they knew the times. Standard N.A.R. nonsense and a twisting of this text.
9: But it doesn't mention that they were skilled with shields or swords or weaponry or that they were well trained in armed men. It simply says that they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. The reason that it's important to understand what's happening, I don't mean every last detail of prophetic stuff. I don't mean every news event and what's happening. I remember people telling me years ago that Gorbachev was the Antichrist because, look, he's got that birthman. He's got the mark of the beast. I remember talking to one woman years ago, and she, she said, have you figured it out? This is when Reagan was president. Have you figured it out? Ronald, Wilson, Reagan. Count the letters. Six, six, six. So you're telling me that Ronald Reagan is the Antichrist. I, I'm not talking about trying to speculate. I'm talking about when God's doing something in a generation, when he's giving loud and clear signs, when it's clear that something's happening in society, when it's clear that the devil is doing something, we as God's people should understand it. As parents, you would want to understand it. If something major was going on with your kids... They were under severe spiritual attack. They were getting pulled by their peers. Something was going on. You'd want to know it. As pastors, leaders, you'd want to know it with a flock of believers if something is going on. Well, we as God's people in this earth, as as his prophetic people, all of us, his body, should understand what's happening so that we know what to do, so that we know how to live, so we know how to respond, so we know how to pray, so we know how to prepare. That's one reason God gave prophecies about the coming of the Messiah to the Jewish people. Mm,
0: so we need to be ready and prepared. This was 15 years ago, and this next wave thing he hasn't even shown up yet.
9: Was not only so they would recognize him when he came, but so their hearts would be ready and they would be praying and preparing. Let me just go back to the past for a moment
0: right not into the biblical past but in the past of his life
9: we talked about miriam aaron moses dying and a sign of major transition for israel and then the new generation called the joshua generation by many raised up to take the land which was a mixture of older and younger together
0: mhm older and younger together i've even heard him talking in these terms recently interesting Joshua generation, big N.A.R. doctrine, the doctrine of the new man, the Joshua generation. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very fascinating.
9: I look back in the 60s when there was a counterculture movement, a counterculture revolution that swept through America and changed our society. Aside from advances in civil rights and a few other things, basically changed our society for the worse. brought us into a situation where we are today. There were certain significant deaths towards the end of that period of the 60s, 1968, two major assassinations. Five years after the assassination of JFK, Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated in 68. Riots erupting in cities all over America. And then shortly after that, Robert F. Kennedy assassinated. It, It was a sign of the chaos of the era.
0: Mm-hmm. So now
9: we're into, you know,
0: recent deaths, at least deaths that were recent 15 years ago. This is the reading of omens and the miss, well, the mangling, totally mangling of uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Huh. Interesting.
9: I have books in my library just focused on the year 1968, which was such a major transitional year, but it's marked by these significant, major deaths in our country. And then by 1969, what do you have? Woodstock. By 1969, you have the beginning of the gay liberation movement, New York City, and so on and so forth. Well, something also happens. This was is, this is the day of the... The, all of the dreams of the young people, the whole hippie movement. There are probably some former hippies here. Sometimes I'll ask, just out of curiosity, I'll ask, "Hey, any guys here? You were the first one to grow your hair out when you were in high school. You know, you were the first one to grow your hair long." And some totally straight guy in a suit and tie who's bald. You know, he'll stand up and I always point him out to the young people and say, "That's what's coming. <laughs> Stick around long enough." But there was this dream, you know, we're going to make the world a better place. And, the, you know, Woodstock, peace, man. You know, no more war and strife and, and make love, not war. And, but that dream was so filled with sin. That dream was so filled with flesh. There were some significant deaths for that whole culture in 1970 and
0: 71. Yeah, there were significant deaths. And, you know, significant death now, current death of Billy Graham. Death of Oral Roberts. The new wave is coming.
9: The the two kings and the queen of rock and roll, again, two men and a woman, all die at the same age. I mean, these things get your attention. First Jimi Hendrix in September. I never
0: considered how the death of Jimi Hendrix was, you know, know, get my attention about God doing something, you know, Numbers 20 style.
9: Of 71, at the of 70 rather, at the age of 27. Then Janis Joplin, about a month later, at the age of 27, and then August the next year. So all within 12 months, Jim Morrison at the age of 27. It, it, it was almost an, ex, an exposing of the the death of that whole culture of the fact that that sin, you just give yourself over to sin and immorality and drugs and alcohol, that's going to bring a premature death. But what happened to that very culture, to that very group of people, the the Jesus people movement, gets full-blown around 1971. Right on the heels of these deaths, God is raising something up.
0: Right, yeah. So on the heels of those deaths, then there was the thing. How do I know it's true, you know? Because the God thing happened after their death, so it has to be related to the deaths, right? No.
9: We have a dear friend, missionary friend, Clark Sloan, who will be in town this week visiting us. And He's written a book about the journeys of their missions team in Italy and around the world. Christ is the answer. They live in tents and trailers, some of the most amazing, wild stuff you could ever imagine. I hope we can help get the book published at some point. The book is called The Circus of God. And he sent me a CD with a lot of pictures of the teams that they had in the 70s that were going preaching around the world. And it looks basically like a hippie gathering. I mean, you're talking about people all came out of the hippie movement, but all radically saved and now missionaries, and some have been on the field over 30 years. Mm Mm-hmm. God did something very deep and real and extraordinary.
0: Right after the death of Jimi Hendrix.
9: Yeah. And it was marked by those major deaths.
0: This is insanity. This is not exegesis. This is insanity.
9: Well, many of you were suddenly awakened to a major transition we are in right now. Some of you were... Recently awakened to it because it was broadcast so loudly by the Lord, it seems. You know, there were some major deaths in the entertainment industry. and I mean, people die every year, but we're talking about prominent something major that gets your attention. Bob Hope turned 100 and died. That got everyone's attention because he was 100 and then died, but didn't really think much about it. Catherine Hepburn. One of the greatest female actresses that Hollywood ever saw. She died, I think, in her 90s. You don't really put these things together because there are always people dying and things happen. And and then on the the Christian ministry side, a few months back, Larry Burkett, who was just probably the best-known teacher in the body on finance and dealing with debt and so on, he goes to be with the Lord, and then Bill Bright goes to be with the Lord.
0: Uh, oh, man, it's, got, it's a sign, man. It means something. Bill Bright and, and this other fellow, the money guy, they all, it, oh, man, it, it means something. You know, this is the reading of omens. Scripture forbids this practice.
9: A, a man that was involved in planning of hundreds of thousands of churches around the world and sharing the gospel message with several billion people around the world. He goes to be with the Lord at the age of 81, but none of this really caught my attention. And, and then Johnny Cash died, another significant entertainment death. But what got my attention on that was the same day there was, there was a lesser-known actor, TV actor genre. He died the same day, and it got my attention. I thought, that's, that's interesting. Another major entertainment death. What I didn't realize, because I do not follow... Australian country music, well, let me phrase it like this. To the extent that I do not follow American country music, just my own preference and background, much, 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 much less do I follow Australian country music. But do you know that the Johnny Cash of Australia, a man widely hailed in his country, I'm talking about known as the Johnny Cash of Australia, he died seven days after Johnny Cash. How interesting.
0: I, wow, my, consider my mind blown. I mean, the Johnny Cash, the real Johnny Cash died the, right before the death of the Australian Johnny Cash. That's a double cash mantle anointing from the Issachar guys because numbers 20. You see how absurd this is? When
9: Kenneth Hagin went to be with the Lord at the age of 86. And I...
0: No, no, no. <laughs> Kenneth Hagin was a full-blown, word-of-faith heretic. Uh-huh. The only lord he went to be with after his death was the Lord of Darkness. Fascinating here that um, Michael Brown thinks Kenneth Hagin wasn't a heretic, but a brother in Christ. That tells you something.
9: When Kenneth Hagen went to be with the Lord at the age of 86, and I thought, Kenneth Hagen, Bill Bright, the lights started to go on. Then these other ones, I realized something is going on. First, I have this thing in my heart for months. Another wave is coming, another wave is coming, a fresh wave. Something greater than what we've seen. Something larger scale than what we've seen. Something not contained to one group here or there or there. Something more intense. And now these deaths begin to happen.
0: Yeah, there were deaths all up in here. It, it means something, man. Again, we're not hearing anything, anything about what God's word really says or means. Hearing a lot about Brown, nothing about Jesus.
9: We had had dinner with Rick Joyner a few weeks back. and mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Rick Joyner of the NAR. Yeah, Joyner is part of the NAR, no doubt about it. Um, and uh, he hangs out with Joyner. I wonder why that would be.
9: He was talking about September 24th, that he was reading in Haggai, and God speaking on the 24th day of the ninth month, and, and it got his attention. It was just a word for Israel, but it got his attention He began to think, September 24th, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I was sitting with Nancy September 23rd. We were having dinner, and we were talking about these deaths, these passing. And I said, there's there are more to come. There are more that are going to go be with the Lord. Who's next?
0: Right, you know, because, you know, Haggai talks about something that happened on the ninth month, the 24th day. So what next? What significant death happened on September
9: 24th? This is a beginner. Who's next? And the next day comes September 24th. And... I was about to go to a leadership meeting, and I saw an email that came in, and it just said, subject, Derek Prince. I didn't have to read the email. I knew and understood. Derek Prince is going to be with the Lord.
0: Right, because in the prophet Haggai, it talked about something that happened on the ninth month and 24th day. This man does not know how to rightly handle a biblical text. Not even close. This is nonsense, deception, distraction, and the reading of omens, which God's word
9: forbids. I'm at the, uh, the age of 88. And then just so interesting, the next morning, get an email. Did you hear that Steve Hill's mom, Evangelist Steve Hill, his mom, went to be with the Lord?
0: Oh, that, it's the end of the world, folks. The, Steve Hill's mom died. You know, because number's 20.
9: Yesterday, September 24th, and then later that day, get an email from India, have you heard Dr. Titus just went to be with the Lord? September 24th, he was one of the great pioneers in India, one of the best-known Indian leaders around the world. Dear man, we got to know. Suddenly, my inside started to shake, and it was leading right into the the Jewish holidays, the biblical calendar, the Feast of Trumpets, the wake-up time.
0: Right, you know, this just happened to coincide with the Feast of Trumpets, which is a wake-up time, cuz nobody can sleep through those trumpets,
9: man. The days of all leading to the day of atonement, and my insides were shaken with the reality, God's trying to get our tr- attention. Major transition is coming.
0: <laughs> you know, I just have to ask the question. Did Michael Brown teach this approach to scripture? to William Tapley. I have to ask, because it's the same tortured hermeneutic. Michael Brown is, you know, slick. I mean, he's educated and he's got some chops. When William Tapley does this and talks like this, everybody thinks he's a loony. But the reality is, is that this is the exact same hermeneutic that William Tapley uses. But the person using it in this case is Dr. Michael Brown.
9: Major transition is coming.
0: Transition's coming, man. Something. We don't know what, but the something is going to happen because people died and stuff.
9: I I went out to to speak in California. By the way, the Johnny Cash of Australia was known as Slim Dusty, just for your records.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you clarified that because... His death definitely is—it's a sign of something, man.
9: I get out to California. Before I get there, it's a Friday. How interesting! It,
0: it, that's right. It was a Friday. Oh yeah, you know, cause, you know, because the, the Friday.
9: Yeah, rock singer Robert Palmer and sports writer, other things. George Clinton, both dead the same day. Just, just then, boom, two, two together. Oh no, oh. What does it mean? I get out to California on a Saturday. I get in the car, renting a car. I'm stuck in L.A. traffic. Right. Put the radio on, see if there's news or something. The first item that comes on, actor, I think Donald O'Connor, dead in Los Angeles at the age of 72. I thought, isn't that interesting? Here I am in Los Angeles, and the first news item is the death of another media person.
0: God is trying to say something. People are dying all over the place. Somebody died on a Friday, another guy on a Saturday, man, and somebody in the ninth month on the 24th day, God speaking.
9: And then I was struck, the people that are going to be with the Lord spiritually, and even in the the secular side, they were pioneers. And I was writing this in my notes.
0: Pioneers, code talk in the NAR for apostle.
9: Pioneers, pioneers. And I get online at the hotel before going out to speak and, and check the news and there it says, Althea Gibson, tennis pioneer, dead at 76.
0: <laughs> tennis apostle, okay. Uh-huh.
9: 76. And then I get in from the meeting that night, and I check the news again, and there's more news. Directing pioneer, alia Kazan, dead at 94.
0: Oh, how long did it take him to compile this list? It, it must have taken
9: weeks. And when I went to... Open the door at the hotel that morning. There was a USA Today there, and the front page covering all these deaths because they don't have an, news coverage Saturday, Sunday. They make up for it on Monday. So it's covering all of those front pages. This pioneer, this pioneer, and then another interesting headline: Ailing Pope Appoints New Cardinals. No.
0: Yes. Gasp!
9: See, it's a sign. The scary thing is, as much as God...
0: No, the scary thing is that you think that this is God talking through these deaths. You see, it's appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. Wages of sin is death. Sinners sin, and they receive their wages in death. This is what happens. Stick around long enough. We're all gone. You know, I mean, if Jesus doesn't show up soon... It's just a matter of time before I'm gone, and my death will signify nothing. Not at all, nothing. It'll just signify that sinners die, because, you know, that's what happens to sinners. Strange, that is. Man, it's, I cannot believe he literally is spewing this stuff, preaching this, as if this, there's a message from God in all of this. Again, this is the reading of omens. Scripture explicitly forbids this practice
9: we continue has been getting our attention and there may even be another significant passing or two before the year is out the scary thing is as much as god is getting our attention he's reminding us that he's god and he knows what's happening and we don't Some of you were here a few weeks ago that that heard a a wonderfully insightful comment from Howie Morgan on a Thursday night service. If you don't come to our Thursday services, we welcome you. By all means, come. Seven o'clock every Thursday. Howie was reading from the words of Jesus in John 15, I am the true vine, and was majoring on the I am part and said something very profound. When Jesus says, I am, it means you are not. The emphasis is on his being everything. He's our source of wisdom. He's our source of understanding. It's not a matter of, okay, all these... Now, I would agree.
0: My question is, why aren't you preaching about him? How come you're preaching about yourself?
9: These people are going to die, transition. Okay, now let's just go do something. No, Now let's hear from heaven. Now let's ask God, are we positioned? Are we ready? Are we where you want us to be? Nancy and I are are 48, close to 49. One grandchild and two more on the way in the next few weeks, God willing. And we're conscious of being older than we used to be. I'm, I'm conscious when I make an attempt to play ball. I was never fast to start. I once severely sprained and mildly fractured my ankle playing basketball, and one of the guys with me told me that I must have been at least three inches off the ground. <laughs> I find if I completely switch my diet to a way that, that I would have rapidly lost weight in the past, you know, eating one meal a day and total low-fat, then all it does is maintain the current fat level. And on a serious side, you know, spiritually, I'm always trying to walk worthy of the calling and walk worthy of the position in which God has me and recognize I'm not a kid, I'm not a, I'm not a baby, I should walk with a certain maturity and integrity and, and each year try to take more of that on in the Lord. But when I started reading about all these pioneers, Bill Bright at 81 and Kenneth Hagen at 86 and Derek Prince at 88 having finished their course.
0: <clears throat> Kenneth Hagan again. No, that guy was full-blown
9: heretic. I looked at their ages. I looked at their lives. I started to feel like a kid again. When I feel about 18 on the inside, Nancy and I always talk about that. We feel like kids in terms of our outlook and zeal and passion. But there's a sense of, Wow. Now it's really gonna get intense. Now it's really time to, to put your spiritual armor on and walk close to Jesus because this is some of what we've been waiting for and praying for and sowing into. Thank God for everything He's done up to now. Thank God for the wonderful things many of us have experienced and you've experienced in your own lives. Thank God for it. But all that is is a foretaste of what's coming. That's there to get us hungry for something more. For the glory of God, not for our own carnal satisfaction or for the latest exciting trend, but for the glory of God, for the deep fulfilling of the longing of our souls, and to touch a dying world. There's seven things I'm going to quickly cover that God's laid on my heart. I say again,
0: test- seven things God's laid on your heart. <laughs> Yeah, the job of a pastor is to preach the Word, and the purpose of a sermon is to exegete the Word and proclaim Christ. What's the seven things God laid on your heart, and why is it so important that you share that with the church rather than the Word of God?
9: Ask them and watch and see what happens. When I asked God for title to the message, he laid something on my heart, and I thought, "Ah, oh, it's just, no. It's... So God even
0: gives you the title of your messages. Notice the claims of inspiration for this sermon. Based on its content and twisting of Scripture, I can say with certainty God the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with this sermon.
9: But it's the only thing that stayed there. The next wave, a revival revolution. You ever tried to pick up something that's heavy and it's round and you can't get your arms around it and you can't? Well, I said, all right, a revival revolution, what does that mean? Because these are two nouns. It's like a, a river ocean, a hurricane earthquake. I mean, what, is, what does it mean? And yet, I knew on the inside what it meant, the combining of these two things. Number one, there will be a combining of the two spheres, revival And revolution. Mm, Yeah, so God told you this directly. Okay. The power of the revival joined with the militancy of the Jesus revolution. When we speak of the Jesus revolution, we're not talking about a call to arms, if those words and terms are not familiar to you. We're not talking about human anger or rebellion or, God forbid, bombing abortion clinics or bashing homosexuals. We're talking about radically impacting the world through the power and sacrificial message of the gospel. We're talking about radical, dramatic, sweeping change. There will be a combining of the two spheres, the power of the revival with the militancy of the revolution.
0: Notice, he's claiming this is direct revelation from God.
9: The passion of God joined with the zeal of man, a raising up of the church to touch the world. Those of us who have been part of revival and moving of the spirit in the past have a certain hunger. Because we've seen what God can do, and we're not content with anything less than visitation. Oh yes, we will go about our daily business, and we will be disciples, and we will be faithful in the little things, but having been touched by something greater, we say, God, do it again. But in the midst of that now, there there are a lot of people with a radically revolutionary spirit that say, whatever the cost or consequence, we're going after God, and we're going to make a difference. We're willing to lay our lives down if it's for the kingdom. There will be a combining of the power of the spirit and the passion and zeal of man. A revival revolution. Number two, this wave will build on advances of the last wave. This wave will build on the advances of the last wave. You know, you step back and think ten years ago, Things were very different in a lot of ways than they are now. Oh, there's been steady moral decline in America. A lot of other junk. It's an amazing thing to me in our school of ministry here. Our incoming class, all young, our first year class, we don't have a single parent in our entire first year class. It's amazing. That's how many young people we have for those that are part of the school of ministry here at Fire. And what's frightening to me is when I ask 18, 19, 20-year-olds, how many of you have seen a major moral decline in your lifetimes? They're all their hands, jump up. They're shocked at how things have fallen. They're shocked at what's on TV and in front of the media now compared to when they were younger. We've got a dear brother here who's, who's in his 80s. You wouldn't know it, full of life and vigor. But in his 80s, he could tell us a whole lot more of what's changed. But I'm talking about even in the last 10 years, There's been a lot of negative stuff that's happened, but there's been a lot that God's done that's very positive. There has been an understanding that there must be new wineskins. Mm-hmm. An understanding there must
0: be new wineskins. Typical NAR charismatic twisting of Jesus' analogy of the the wineskins. This is not some kind of pattern that... You know, God changes out wineskins, you know, for new things that he's up to. Uh, but this is a typical twisting that we see very prominently in the NAR. Fascinating that, well, <clears throat> Michael Brown is using this exact same rhetoric.
9: There has been, according to the title of one book, a rethinking of the wineskins. Many people ask, well, what is Church. When I wrote the book Revolution in the Church challenging the religious system of the call for radical change the thing that I found the most interesting was all the people saying it's not radical enough we've been thinking about these very same things for some years i knew it's out there i knew it's in people's hearts questioning of leadership structure questioning of 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 questioning of leadership structure
0: isn't that what the nar is all about the establishing of or the reestablishing of An apostolic leadership structure? Huh. Let me back that up.
9: Questioning of leadership structure. Questioning of of how things are supposed to be done. Redefining of of what community means. So many of these things that are necessary. Not only that, there is a revived youth who will be ready for battle. I have the...
0: Yeah, the revived youth, that would be Joel's army, the Joshua generation, the one new man. Uh-huh.
9: I had the privilege of preaching in lots of churches over these years, and it was a steady thing. I, I can't say I ran into this 100% of the time, and I'm sure there were exceptions, but I've compared notes with many others who were in youth ministry and traveling ministry, and we all had basically the same experience. We'd go out. I'd be preaching in the late 70s, early 90s, and maybe there's a turned on congregation, you know, maybe, you know, 500, 800, 1,000 people, 300 people, whatever, going after, you know, a lot of people hungry and thirsty and serious. And and I'd think, where are the young people? How come it's all adults? Little children, where are the young people? And then they tell us, oh, you know, our youth group's going to be in the service tomorrow night, and there'd be like 20 kids, maybe a church of 1,000, 20 kids. All kind of huddled over to the side, making it clear they did not want to be there. And youth pastors telling me it's so frightening, they'll be here and crying and raising their hands one night, and then going out and partying and sleeping together and watching unclean movies the next. And I began to grieve. I said, God, we've lost a whole generation. I got saved at 16 and a half. My heart's always been specially knit to young people, seeing them getting saved and right with God at those same ages.
0: Again, we sure do hear a lot about Michael Brown in this sermon, not a lot about Jesus.
9: College age in particular. I started to grieve. I said, Lord, we've lost a whole generation. They were always the the, the smallest in number. They were the least interested. They were the least focused. They were the ones that just wanted to be entertained and seemed to be lacking in depth. Now it's my experience almost everywhere I go here and in other parts of the world, that the most on fire, the most radical, the most committed, the most determined, the most willing to go for it at any cost or consequence are the young people. Do you understand something major has happened in the last 10 years? And again, I say this is not just my experience, but it's been confirmed by experience of leaders all around the world who'll say it the same way. There's been a major youth revival, a major moving of God. No, not everywhere. No, not in every group. And now, contrary to ten years ago, when these people were just being reached in the early stages, now these guys are ready to be on the front lines. Something struck me. I talked about those significant deaths in 1994, Richard Nixon and Jackie Kennedy, Onassis and others, that got my attention in terms of major transition. Well, this is a first, perhaps another way of getting our attention. I was there the night the lights went out. All right, everybody stay steady. It is no big deal. This is not terrorists, okay?
0: So apparently the lights went out while he was preaching.
9: And amazingly, the mic is still on. Listen, I hope that you live long enough to have stories that go beyond I was there the night the lights went out. <laughs> now remember, if you're a Baptist, then that was simply a mechanical malfunction. If you're a Pentecostals, that's the devil trying to oppose the message. If it was one of our own services, perhaps we forgot to pay the light bill. But since, <laughs> <laughs> since we're here at Evangel, and they are responsible good stewards, oh, someone—it was none of the above. Yeah, if we asked the wives, they'd say probably someone just shut it. The practical wisdom—that's what it was. Someone working in the back just shut the lights god bless them but the fact that it happens in the middle of a message like this <laughs> perhaps has some meaning
0: yeah and let's see if we can read the omens let's get some tea leaves out you know maybe we can look at the you know guts of a cow or something and figure out what it all means
9: Man, this is awful. So there were these major deaths in 94, but there was one that in a certain way was more significant than any, and I didn't catch it. Then I'm looking back about this major transition. There was somebody who epitomized the youth culture. There was someone who represented that generation. And in case we didn't get it, just like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison all died at the age of 27, he died by shotgun, self-imposed shotgun blast, also at the age of 27. Kurt Cobain.
0: Don't forget River Phoenix, you know.
9: Again, a signaling of the death of that culture and the emptiness and the bankruptcy of what was happening among the young people. But look at what God has done in these years.
0: Yeah, you know, because those deaths signified that God was doing stuff and stuff.
9: I mean, who would have thought of gatherings like the Call DC? Some of you were part of that.
0: Yeah, the Call had nothing to do with the death of Kurt Cobain.
9: Some of the other Call events, two, three hundred thousand or more. Gathering Mainly young people. Think of it. Some of you got to be part of the largest gathering of Christian young people in America's history. For entertainment, hype? No. For a day of prayer and fasting and crying out to God. And these events have continued to draw tens of thousands around America, around the world. Something's going on. So many of our missionaries, so many of our fire laborers all around the world doing exploits for God. They're young people. Yes, we need, we must have the joining of the generations, the fathers and the sons together, the mothers and the daughters together. Otherwise, we are doomed to fail. But with the true Joshua generation, who knows what could happen?
0: And there it is. He called it by name, the Joshua generation. This is an NAR and latter rain doctrine. Michael Brown clearly buys into it.
9: This wave will build on the advances of the last wave. Changes in church structure will enable the release of the body for the work of ministry.
0: Changes in church structure. Hmm. It's funny, that's what the NAR kept talking about and still talks about the change in church structure, the reestablishing of apostolic leadership. Huh, here's Michael Brown tooting that same horn, making that same
9: point. Revived youth will be ready for battle. And those who survive the last wave are, or at least should be, the wiser for it, and all the more broken and dependent on God. Number three, moral crisis in society, actually led in particular by the homosexual agenda. No, this does not mean that all gays have an agenda. It means that there is a militant, strong agenda among many who are aggressive and at the forefront. The heightened moral crisis in society, coupled with the quagmire in Iraq, will produce a holy backlash
0: a holy backlash because of the quagmire in Iraq. Huh. yeah, here we are fifteen years after that yeah i don't I don't recall that ever happening.
9: In other words, a lot of people are going to say, this is crazy. A lot of people are going to start asking questions about the meaning of life. A lot of people are going to have a stirring. And and even the the devil characteristically overplays his hand. He, He normally goes too far because he is who he is. And when he goes too far, that's when many people who wouldn't have awakened and wouldn't have been stirred do awaken and do get stirred. We were sitting in a, a mentoring group in my office in Pensacola before the war in Iraq. And the students in the mentoring group were asking me, I said, Dr. Brown, do you think that, that the coming war in Iraq is going to draw the kind of protest the Vietnam War did and, and be a major controversial thing in America, around the world? And I said, I really don't see it coming like that. <laughs> How amazing. Funny thing is, I talked to a bunch of others, they didn't quite see it coming like that either. And again, it reminds us how little we know unless God gives us insight. Here we are still stuck in the midst of a very difficult situation. I've written down on my notes here, I feel like 9-11 will be in the air again. Perhaps the recent Osama bin Laden tape, if it's really him, released just a few days ago with broadcasts of more terror, just reminds us. I don't live in fear. I fly constantly. I don't think about it. I'm not afraid of it. But but there's a reminder of the fact that things are not the way they used to be. There's a reminder of the fact that war is among us everywhere. In the midst of this, God's going to use it. And Israel, too, will be in the center to the consternation and stumbling of many. Israel increasingly will be on the cutting edge of dividing people. Number four. This wave will be violent, as in spiritually. Again, I do not mean physical violence. Jesus will never lead us the way of physical violence. Jesus is not an excuse for outbursts of our anger. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The Jesus way is put down your sword, take up your cross. We overcome evil by good. But as much as we need the gentle streams of refreshing, as much as we constantly need the joy of the Lord, this next wave will not primarily be a quiet streams wave. But one with an intensity, as in Acts 2, with the intensity of the Spirit moving there at Shavuot, at Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Again, it just struck me, I always think Scripture. Someone tells me when they're getting married, you know, this date, it's just, you know, the month is a chapter and the day is a verse. I mean, I always think Scripture. I wake up, I look at the clock and whatever it is, you know, I think Scripture. Scripture references. Judge Roy Moore, in the thick of the Ten Commandments controversy. I'm good friends with people very close to him that attest to his godliness and purity and humility. But the, the first date set for his trial, being held in contempt, is November 12th, 1112. And the moment I see 1112, of course I think Matthew 1112. In the words of Jesus that the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violent take it by force. We are in a spirit. <laughs> the
0: kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Hmm. I clearly have not reviewed enough sermons from the NAR to prove to y'all that that's NAR talk. But believe me when I tell you, that's NAR talk. Wow. I I'm sorry, but back in 2003 when he delivered this sermon, the next wave revival revolution He was pressing all the NAR buttons with his claims of direct revelation. And these seven points that he's making, this is like the NAR agenda in, um, well, thumbnail sketch. Let me back that up.
9: In the words of Jesus that the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violent take it by force. We are in a spiritually violent conflict. But hear me, this next wave will be turbulent Like a mighty thundering wave, and it will bring the church into holy conflict with the world. Let me say it again. This next wave will bring the church into holy conflict with the world. Some of us could die on the battlefield. No, we do not take life, but our lives could easily be taken standing up for Jesus. It happens around the world. There's a quote I had Cited some years back and I was reminded of it again a few weeks ago when preparing for this message James B. Taylor in the 1800s. He said the world may frown Satan may rage, but go on live for God May I die in the field of battle or missionary C.T. Studd great sportsman aristocrat left everything in England and Cambridge to go be a missionary first in China then to pour out his life in Africa Shortly before he died, someone sent him these verses. Let the victors, when they come, when the forts of folly fall, find thy body near the wall. You want to be there right up front where the action's happening for Jesus. We've had enough time sitting back on the sidelines and making excuses and waiting for next time. Well, many times have passed us by. We have no more excuses. It's time we throw ourselves in and say, Father, here I am. Make my life fully usable. However, I can bring you the most glory. However, I can touch the most people. However, I can be the most effective witness. However, I can. Which text are you exegeting again?
0: Yeah, he's not actually exegeting a text. This is interesting. can
9: demonstrate your compassion and mercy. However, Jesus can be exalted through me. Here I am, whether by life or by death. I want to glorify you. That should be the normal heartbeat of every single child of God. It's not radical. That's normal. Titus Bransmo is a Dutch Catholic priest martyred by the Nazis in 1942. He said those who want to win the world for Christ must have the courage to come into conflict with it. Those who want to win the world for Christ must have the courage to come into conflict with it. The days of trying to save our lives rather than stand up for Jesus must be over. Do we use wisdom? Yes. Do we embrace long life as a gift from God? Absolutely. Meditate on Psalm 91 until it comes pouring out of your brain, if you don't believe that. But that's part of our victory. You can't take my life. I belong to him. All you can do is promote me. Brother Andrew, we've quoted him often. open doors, ministries, fearless, servant of God. He said our Lord said go. He said nothing about coming back. This must be the spirit and the attitude of those caught up in this next wave. He said, there are no closed doors to the gospel, provided that once you go through the door, you don't care whether or not you come back out. When I was writing a series of books on answering Jewish objections to Jesus, I had one lengthy question dealing with the Holocaust. Many Jews say, how could I ever believe in God, let alone think about Jesus after the Holocaust? Something I wanted to treat with sensitivity. In fact, I didn't want to touch it. I agonised over it until God really gave me a, a fruitful approach. But in that answer I quoted from Basilia Schlink, who just wanted to be with the Lord a couple years back, godly German leader, Lutheran, founded of the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary. And, and look at what she wrote to her fellow Germans two years after the Holocaust. She said, We are personally to blame. We all have to admit that if we, the entire Christian community, had stood up as one man, and if, after the burning of the synagogues on Kristallnacht, the beginning of the Holocaust, we had gone out in the streets and voiced our disapproval, rung the church bells, and somehow boycotted the actions of the SS, the devil's vassals would probably not have been at such liberty to pursue their evil schemes. But we lacked the ardor of love, love that is never passive, love that cannot bear it when its fellow men are in misery, particularly when they are subjected to such appalling treatment and tortured to death. Indeed, if we had loved God, we would not have endured seeing those houses of God set ablaze and holy divine wrath would have filled our souls. The church will come into conflict with the world. Number five, this will be a revival of the fear of the Lord. The days of awe are upon us. There is a tremendous lack in society as a whole of the fear of God. Now, I would note that, um, well, uh,
0: <laughs> it's been 15 years since this sermon was delivered. We haven't seen any of this happening yet. Weird. He made it sound like that you know God was preparing them for it. It was, it was like imminent, you know.
9: Even a recognition of authority and reverence for that. Tremendous lack in our society. Tremendous lack in the body, the fear of God. I'm convinced in my own life there's a lack of it. Something I talk to the Lord about and meditate on scripture because of. This next revival, because of the awesome things that God does and how he will reveal himself, will be a revival of the fear of the Lord. Number six, new wineskins have been prepared for the new wine. And- here
0: we go again, new wineskin talk. This is classic NAR, latter rain, um, talking points here.
9: New wine there will be. New wineskins have been prepared for the new wine, and new wine there will be.
0: New wine there will be, okay.
9: Still the nature of the harvest, hear me carefully. The nature of the harvest, that is, the types of people who will get saved, will surprise us due to the extreme ravages of sin. The conversions will be equally extreme. So prepare for a radical ingathering. No matter how ready we think we are, we do not fully understand what sin has done to a generation. We do not fully understand how deeply raped and abused this generation has been. And people are going to get saved in ways that will surprise us and come to us in ways that will surprise us. And if we think we are ready, we are not ready. That's like the churches when I got saved in the early 70s. Most of them are not ready for the Jesus People movement, for the sin gathering of hippies and radicals and rebels. And only a small percentage of those who could have been discipled and nurtured and raised up and sent out were actually treated like that. I'll say it again, prepare for radical in gathering. Number seven, this next wave will be, must be, can only be about Jesus. We cannot def- Great, because this
0: sermon isn't about Jesus. Like the farthest thing from it, it's about Michael Brown and the claims that he hears directly from God, and he's giving us a blueprint, a strategy. Hmm, almost like he's an apostle. He's giving us a strategy, you know, for the uh, the upcoming <clears throat> next wave of revival revolution.
9: We cannot deflect it to lesser causes. In the greatness of his glory, lesser causes will fade. We cannot deflect it with attention on people. It must be. God is jealous for this. This is something he will guard. It must be about Jesus.
0: Unlike this sermon.
9: In a deeper way than anything we've known. Let me read you something. I'm going to close. T.L. Osborne, mightily used in healing the sick around the world. For decades now, I've, I've been in some cities, one in Africa, one in Scandinavia, where to this day you can point to the, the what God did in the churches around the world. In Holland, one city, brothers were telling me about when he came, the impact that his ministry had. And, and he said, that's when my dad got the call to go into ministry. That's when these churches were planted. That's when this happened, that happened. 1947, he said, during our time of pastoring in the church in McMinnville, Brian Parkman got this quote for me. God dealt with me in many wonderful ways. It was during this time that a lady in our church happened to inform me of the death of Dr. Charles S. Price, a man greatly used in healing in that day. 1947. I'd never met the man, but I had read scores of his wonderful sermons, and through doing so, I had learned to love the man dearly. When I heard of his death, I went to the church and began to weep aloud. It seemed as as though I could not contain my grief. The faith heroes of the previous few years began to pass through my mind like a panorama. I thought of Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth died in 47. Of McPherson, Sister Amy. He mentions different ones.
0: Isn't it interesting? He um, mentions Amy Semple McPherson, crackpot, false prophet, false teacher, and Smith Wigglesworth, the guy who threw a baby against the wall and kicked it like a soccer ball in order to Get at the demon that was afflicting it. Uh, He quotes them, he talks about them as if, well, they were legitimate people of God. Far from it.
9: And of others, not one of whom I had ever met or heard preach, but they were gone forever from this world scene of action. I should never meet them here. The world would never again feel the impact and marvelous influence of their ministry. We would only talk of them and hear of their exploits of faith. Oh, it broke me at heart. It all seemed very strange to me as to why it should affect me like it did when I didn't even know these people. I began to ponder it all. I said, Lord, those great heroes are gone now and millions are still dying, multitudes are still sick and suffering. To whom will they go now for help? Who now will stir our large cities and fill our large auditoriums with the magnetic power of God, healing the sick and casting out devils? What will this world do now? God heard and answered my questions in a marvelous way, though not immediately. The Spirit spoke thus, My son, as I was with Price, McPherson, Wigglesworth, and others, so I will be with thee. They are dead.
0: The the Holy Spirit said he was with Wigglesworth and Amy Semple McPherson. Yeah,
9: no, not at all. But now it is time for you to rise, to go and do likewise. You cast out devils, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cleanse the lepers. Behold, I give unto you power over all the power of the enemy. Be, be not afraid, be strong, be a of good courage. I am with thee as I was with them. No evil power shall be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as you get the people to believe my word. I used those men in their day, but this is your day. Now I desire to use thee. I believe the very same thing.
0: So apparently God speaks to Michael Brown sometimes in King James English.
9: Weird. I believe the very same thing is being said by the Spirit of God to us. Pioneers, mightily used, have passed on before us, and God is saying, it's your time, it's your, your hour, your generation. Take hold of it. Seize the moment. The Great Commission is a call to go and change the world. We're part of the Jesus.
0: No, the Great Commission is a call to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. Yeah, weird. Hmm.
9: We're part of the Jesus movement called to bring holy revolution to a godless world, sent by the Father to bring liberation to the captives. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must move forward with the Jesus revolution, but now in the life and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, nothing can stand against it. As Evan Roberts said, a whole church on its knees is irresistible. Here's how we're going to end It's a little different than what you might be used to, not in the service, but in this part. And then our other leadership team and our worship team will be here to continue. And uh, I've got to catch a flight.
0: And that's all of the sermon that was available online. What a train wreck. And he didn't exegete a biblical text correctly, not even once. We got some mentions of Jesus, but only to somehow hijack his name to talk about the new thing that God's going to be doing. And all of the claims of direct revelation you know, that Michael Brown had. And it was weird. His agenda talking points that he claimed were coming from the Holy Spirit actually were the exact same agenda talking points that you would expect to hear from, well, I hate to say it this way, an apostle in the N.A.R. Weird. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, just kind of strange. Got my ears attuned to their talking points, and those were the exact same N.A.R. talking points. So what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name is there at Pirate Christian. Till next week. Yeah, I gotta take tomorrow off. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ by a vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.